So I want to take a moment now to thank the Digital Hub because they are the main sponsors for this season of InspireFest, the podcast. The Digital Hub is in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin city. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies. But it's more than just an office. Hi, my name is Emma Walker. I'm director of Waxman PR, which is a strategic communications agency for blockchain companies worldwide. It's wonderful being at the Hub because it's great to have the opportunity to have the support to grow and scale. You can find out more about Emma and lots of other innovators at thedigitalhub.com. Now, back to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to the second episode of InspireFest, the podcast. In each episode, we speak to people who were on stage at InspireFest, which is a two-day conference in Dublin, Ireland, about science, technology, design and the arts. So we got to talk to really cool people. In this episode, we meet Arlen Hamilton, who is the founder of Backstage Capital, which is a venture capital fund based in LA. It's a venture capital fund with a difference because Arlen, she has an interesting career path herself. She worked in the music industry and she moved into VC where she invests in communities underrepresented in tech, women, people of color and LGBTQ founders. It's been enormously successful. Backstage Capital started from scratch in autumn 2015 and it has now invested around $2 million and across more than 40 companies. What I found really interesting talking to Arlen was how she wasn't just doing this because it was the right thing to do or an important thing to do. She was doing this because there's real opportunity in these founders who are currently underrepresented. I think she's tapped into this enormous talent latent in the tech industry. So, yeah, it was really interesting to hear Arlan's story. I'm Arlen Hamilton. I am the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. So Arlen, you have a really interesting journey into VC. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, started outside of the Silicon Valley bubble and uh, about 2015 officially launched Backstage Capital from Texas and uh, eventually moved to California to pursue it. And we invest in founders who have historically been overlooked. And did you have an aha moment when you realized that you could maybe address a problem that was going on in, in VC? Sure. It, to be honest, it didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual thing um, where I noticed the disparities in funding access. And um, 
funding and other types of access, mentorship, et cetera. And after trying to get the word out and not feeling like I was being taken as seriously as I would like to have been, I just decided to try it myself. How did you go about doing that? I just knocked on a lot of doors. I sent a lot of emails. Um, I, I'm not afraid to um, to hear no's, and I know it's a numbers game. So I just reached out to everyone that I had read about or seen in a in a video, heard on a podcast, who was you know doing something in tech that I admired or thought was uh, of note, and I knew that I would probably have to ask 99 people to get the one yes and I just did that over and over again. And tell me how Backstage has grown over the last couple of years. Yeah it started with me uh, sitting on a uh, blow-up bed in my apartment in Houston and now we have 45 companies as of this week. Probably by the time this comes out it'll be more like 50 to 60 and um, we have deployed about two million US dollars across those companies and raised that bit by bit um, I would say in 25k chunks from from lots of uh, well-known VCs investors and operators so you started out kind of looking around and asking people etc etc has that changed now do people come to you it's a little bit of both I definitely I am still on the hustle and on the grind. I still spend a lot of time fundraising and actively seeking people who are aligned with with what we're doing. It has not become easier, but yes, we now, because we've been able to to build out a portfolio and show that we're good choosers in addition to having a great mission, people are coming to us to um, look at our next fund and when we start raising that to, to be part of that. Can you tell us about some of the talents that you have spotted and you have invested in? Yeah, we, so, you know, across nearly 50 companies, we have, we, it runs the gamut and uh, we have invested in a company that is developing mind-flown drones and they use that in a lot of use cases where, you know, the, the most interesting to me so far is search and rescue and, and natural disasters and in, and fires. And so these drones can go where others can't to, to look and find living people without putting other people in danger. And the mind-flown part of it is that they can do this quicker once the, the operator's trained. They can do this faster than what's available right now. So, you know, seconds count in those situations. Um, and the, the, the technology that they're developing could, could save lives. So I'm really excited about them. We have fun things that are, you know, fashion and things that make, I, I like to look at things that um, run the gamut between changing your life or, ch- or making your day brighter. So we get to do everything uh, and see everything in between. I'm Sharon Vosmick, CEO of Astia and member of Astia Angels. I invest in early stage companies that have women on the founding team. And I'm here at Inspire Fest for two very important reasons. One is I love innovation and the conversations around it. This is a great place for that. Number two, I love entrepreneurs. This is a great place for them. What I do as an investor is build relationships. And what I loved about being on stage with Arlen is she's someone I'm just getting to know. And it was a conversation between two people getting to know each other. And she's such an interesting person with an interesting story and an interesting journey. So it was beautiful. 
What does Golden Boy mean to you? <laughs> uh, Golden Boy is a pop punk band from Norway that I tour managed in my early 20s um, after discovering them online. I enjoyed their music. I was working at a bank and uh, I decided to leave that and take them on the road. Had you ever met them? No. Right. Yeah. They were in Norway. I was in Dallas. Right, right. Interesting. So tell me, how does one re reach a Norwegian punk rock band in Norway when there's AOL and right. uh, not yeah. the interview? Well, it was 2001. Yeah. Or early two. Uh, and I, I just. I think I actually reached out to them on AOL or an email or something. I found their contact information and reached out to the lead singer. You didn't uh, just do a few band tours. You ended up doing these arena tours, and they were all quite successful from what I can mm -hmm. find on the web. Yeah, I, I was one impressed. of many people working towards it. I'm definitely part yeah. of a team, yes. Yeah. But then that wasn't enough. Next one was media, right? Sure. Or Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I would say f first print, then digital, then back to print. Uh, I started a um, indie music magazine when I was 24, I think, um, from a bedroom. And uh, it went on to have 10,000 subscribers and, and um, cus uh, customers worldwide. And um, then I kind of in the middle of that, because uh, it was a struggle. It was definitely a struggle. We bootstrapped it, and so we kind of went away for a little bit. And then so in the middle of that, um, I broke up with my girlfriend, or she broke up with me. Um, <laughs> you know, I Which was fine with it. Which is good for business. That's good for... No, she broke up with <laughs> me, and I was super depressed. And um, I was like, do I take all her stuff and throw it on the lawn and burn it? which is an option at this point, <laughs> or do I like maybe just go online and see if there's some like like-minded people I can talk to and like reach out because I was, you know, alone and felt like an island. And uh, I just started writing about my feelings and writing things to make cheer me up and writing things that were kind of raw, you know, the raw emotion and, um, and people started uh, paying attention. So that, that blog, was called Your Daily Lesbian Moment, and it uh, went on to have 50,000 um, readers per month, unique readers per month, again, around the world, which was kind of a theme for... for a little bit doing. of a theme. Yeah, it was always yeah. like we could, we could um, reach people, you know, from, from all corners. Once again, what was your training to create this massively global online community of interesting uh, and interested people well the training for your daily lesbian moment blog was being hella gay um <laughs> and type <laughs> typing fast <laughs> so your mission is to support underrepresented communities um how has what has the response been from the wider vc community to that i will say that it is my mission is to invest in underrepresented founders and communities and support them with our with our um, network and our access, but it is an honor for us to be able to invest in them. I think that's really important to point out that I'm, I'm not doing a, like a chair, it's not a charity, it's not a nonprofit, it is 
an opportunity. And so I think the more that we do and the more that our founders show just explosive user and revenue growth and in and, and short amount of time with just a little bit of capital, the more that happens, the more the VC world at large takes notice. And what's the long-term plan? My long-term plan is to make myself and Backstage Capital obsolete by 2025. I don't want to have to be investing in black people, brown people, women, LGBT founders and saying that they're underrepresented. I just want to be investing in founders. As you say, you, you invest in underrepresented communities. What is the benefit? What is the return on investment there as opposed to kind of the standard VC? I think that for me personally, I'm excited just to, to be investing in general. I think that having an edge as a VC is just smart business. And so our edge is diversity, which has been proven over and over and over again with data of facts that diversity is more lucrative. If you think about it, a lot of really successful straight white male founders, the ones that we know and the ones that are getting funded, um, Aaron Levy, for instance, who is an investor in our fund, wonderful guy, he told me that he, he failed, quote unquote, several times before starting Box. Um, this happens over and over again, and failure is some sort of badge of honor, which I, I agree. Um, but women, and women of color especially, are not afforded that opportunity to fail, <laughs> not afforded the opportunity to have that experience and be a better founder for it. And I think that part of what we're doing is giving them the opportunity for it not to be the only shot they've ever had and everyone looking at them and saying, oh, you didn't, you didn't win, we knew we shouldn't have put money there. there it's, it's seeding the ecosystem not just once, but coming back and over and over again. That's a really powerful shift in perception and, and, and mindset, isn't it? Um, in terms of, the, of Backstage itself, I mean, how do you think the culture within Backstage, do you think that's particularly different to other VCs? I know it's different. Um, we, there are a lot of companies and a lot of um, portfolio companies and Backstage's portfolio who, do, who practice the same thing. We try to practice what we preach. We try to look um, look at our employee base on a weekly basis and look and see are we are we being the change that we're preaching about right? So today we have more women than men on our team. We also have more people of color than not on our team. We also have a wonderful representation of LGBT community, and I think we could do better in some areas and constantly striving to do so. Do you need to repeatedly explain the value of diversity or, or is it becoming obvious? I do. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's not, maybe it's not 99 for every one yes, maybe it's now 49 for every one yes, so it's getting better. The people who write a check, who become LPs, limited, limited partners in our fund, investors in our fund, are aligned. Um, the, when they do write a check, I cannot think of a time where there's ever been a question about the value of diversity. They're investing in that. They're looking for that in most cases. It w if they have a question, it's more about the operational logistics of a fund. The, it's the 49 that have the question. And part of my job is uh, moving forward will be more about let's get that number down to one and two. Let, you know, because it, it is going to be other people's uh, loss 
and at the same time trying to balance a little bit of the education that comes with it but at this you know being edgy as a, a VC is not um, spending too much time educating the competition one of the things we're asking everybody is mm-hmm. about the sort of the risks and opportunities they see in their in their field so mm-hmm. you know in, into the future so what are the biggest risks you see um, into the future with VC well, VC in general, I think they risk they risk not doing what we're saying they should, which is investing, pouring capital into diversity. Within our own fund and the funds like ours, the risk could be that we do a really good job of seeding and we cannot find the partners to meet us at Series A and beyond. And then, you know, that would be catastrophic, I think. So it's definitely a risk factor. And it's, it's a risk factor for anyone who wants to invest in our fund because they have to know that there are a lot of market indicators and things that we cannot control but we do try to have these conversations with the larger funds as much as possible for that very reason and the biggest opportunities biggest opportunities again diversity in my view uh you know um i think the next i don't know the exact time but it feels like it's going to be something like five seven years it's just going to be this explosion of innovation from places that we have not seen before. It's going to be the difference between... It's going to be... Uh, some A founder, actually, in our portfolio said this to me while we were meeting once, and he he said, you know, it's like when, when sports were integrated. You know, it was it it did um, heighten the game. It heightened because you had different types of people, different people with different backgrounds and different skill sets. And it was it was more exciting. I think that's what's about to happen in Silicon Valley and and in all pockets of the world. It's a brilliant analogy. And with that, thank you, Ireland, for joining. Thank us. you. Thank you very much. So that was Arlen, and Arlen really gave me a new perspective on things. I mean, she's she's a great example of someone who can turn adversity around into opportunity, and I think she's done that for so many people, not only for herself, but for a lot of other people as well. She's definitely someone to keep an eye on, because I think she, she just makes things happen. So that's the end of episode two, and I'm really looking forward to episode three now, where we get to meet two really energetic people who uh, have written books. Sue Black, who is the author of Saving Bletchley Park. And we have Kelly Hoey, who is the author of Build Your Dream Network. And when those girls got together, tell you what, there was no stopping them. So thanks for listening to InspireFest, the podcast. Be sure to share it with all your friends, anybody who's into science, tech, design, the arts, anyone who's just curious or wants to listen to interviews with amazing people. Be sure you review us on iTunes because it helps to spread the word even further. If you want to find out more about InspireFest, be sure to check out InspireFest.com. This episode was produced by Bureau. I've been Claire O'Connell. Thanks so much for joining us.
Don't forget, folks, that InspireFest 2018 is on June the 21st and 22nd in the Borgosh Energy Theatre in Dublin. So do go along to InspireFest.com and check out the speakers, book your tickets and come along because you won't regret a minute of it. There are not only the super speakers on stage, but also wonderful people go to InspireFest and there's a lot of events and it's a huge amount of fun. So come along. I think it gives people the space to actually absorb new ideas and do a little bit of creative thinking. That's been a huge theme throughout the conference about creativity uh, versus productivity. So it's it's great just to have that space to get away from the desk and, and be inspired and spark your own thinking. That's really important. 